0: Well, good morning, Calvary. Y'all right? This is good. Good to see you all this morning. I was telling Pastor Drew, this often feels like a home when I'm around my Calvary family, because we've had a partnership for like the last maybe two, going on three years now. And so there's a lot of familiar faces I saw in the first and second service. And even now I see in this service of some faces who've come out to Chicago to help us partner with some things we're doing on the west side. And so I love uh, the pastors and the team here and uh, feel like I'm at home. But um, the thing I love about God's family is that no matter what city you're in, uh, we're, all, we're all related, we're all family, right? Yeah, thank you to the three people that I'm actually related to that said amen. (laughs) Appreciate that, so the three of us were related, praise God in Jesus' name. Um, But just glad to be here, we just uh, send you greetings from the west side of Chicago. Now I know I did some faces and people that I do know that come out and have spent the night at my wife and I's house and have come out of Chicago and hopefully you can come out and help serve with us on the west side, we sure can use the help. But just to kind of give a little backdrop on myself, um, since I don't know everyone here, Um, Again, my name is John Kelly. I'm the lead pastor of Chicago West Bible Church. Uh, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Philadelphia, in North Philadelphia, um, in a single-parent household. It was just me, my mom, and my little sister. Uh, My mom, we grew up in a very kind of rough area, and uh, if you could think of um, the most angry, uh, disrespectful, always high, and doing something he shouldn't be doing teenager, that was me. I first started getting in trouble when I was like 12, and the first time I ever got arrested and convicted of a crime um, was 13 years old for assault. I spent most of my juvenile years in juvenile detention centers. I probably was home maybe five, six months a year in my teenage years because I was always locked up for something, always getting shot at, selling drugs. I began selling crack and crack houses when I was like 12. And unfortunately, that whole path of uh, drug addiction, being in the streets, I never—I'm be honest—I never ever had a category for this. Never thought I'd make it to 21. People in my neighborhood just didn't make it to 21, and um, unfortunately, when I turned 19, made the worst decision, decision I ever made in my life. I um, went with a group of friends to rob the home of one of the drug dealers in our neighborhood, and one of my friends shot and killed him. And so I was 19 years old. We all got arrested. Uh, I was sitting in prison in solitary confinement, looking at life in prison or the death penalty and uh, it was my first week in prison that a guard that worked the block um, was a christian and uh, he gave me a bible to read and i got god's word into my hand that first week in prison and i haven't been the same since and so i gave my life to the lord right there in that prison cell and uh, i was like i said I was a high school dropout had a low reading level god got his word into my hand his word was enough i didn't go to a church service i didn't hear a sermon i was in a prison cell and he got his word into my hands. So I'm encouraged, and I love God's word because I believe wholeheartedly that um, this is enough. That God doesn't need me up here preaching to you. He can reach anybody in the most darkest place. I ended up getting sentenced to six to 20 years for third-degree murder. Got my G.D. in prison, went on, uh, did my time. Miraculously made parole after six years, which never normally happens. You normally have to do 85% of your time Came home on parole in 2008. Uh, Got plugged into a church in West Philadelphia. That's where I met my wife Danielle. She was working with the young teenage women there and I was working with the young men in youth ministry. We started dating and uh, dated for two years, went through premarital counseling, got married. I then moved out to Chicago so I can go to Moody Bible Institute to get my degree. That's how I ended up in Chicago. The plan was not to stay there. I ended up going to Moody. I was working as a janitor and going to Moody at the same time. And when I graduated, was able to plant this church, Chicago West Bible Church, and continuing on to get my master's degree. So now, here's this guy, grew up in North Philly, uh, was high school dropout, went to prison, life seemed like it was far over, made some really painful decisions yet God reached him. And now I have a wife and two kids who are probably running around somewhere back there. Hopefully they don't break anything. <laughs> and. uh and now I get to serve also with an organization called Prison Fellowship. And it's a well known prison ministry. I'm started by Chuck Colson, um, the late Chuck Colson. And so I get to travel out to Washington, D.C. a lot and work with Congress and whoever's in the White House um, on behalf of, and their staff on behalf of advocating for men and women who are incarcerated to get them resources. And on the West Side, we work with men and women who are coming home from prison. And so that's just a little backdrop on me. And so now you kind of know, at least uh, when they say Chicago West Bible Church, or we're partnering with some stuff in Chicago, at least you know now a little bit about me. Um, but I'm quite sure we all got a story to tell. But often, why do I say this and share a little bit? One, <laughs> I want you to know who I am since we have a partnership, but then two, um, it ties into this message because oftentimes when I share uh, my story, people go, man, that's very encouraging, man, praise God, Pastor John, That's amazing what God is doing in your life, and so and so, and it's like, Yeah, it's easy for you to say that on the back end. But if you would have knew me when I was 17, 18 years old, you would have never wanted to be around me. Um, You would have thought I was extremely disrespectful. We probably would have gotten into a fight. And I I promise you, you would have thought that there was no hope for me. Young guy sitting in prison for murder, looking at the death penalty, has no respect for authority. I can see how he got there. And great job of trying to get through to that guy. Why do I tell you that? It's because I want you to be encouraged this morning, no matter where you are, that we serve a God who can free people who are in bondage. And here's what I found when I came home from prison uh, 11 years ago. Even though I was free, there's so many people who, even though they're physically free, they're spiritually in bondage. There's so many people, even in this room, you may have never stepped foot in a jail, but you've been in bondage and been captive to shame. Pain, anger, lust, maybe addiction. There's a lot of people who are walking around, and if you could get them to take their mask off because they got the mask on, you know, uh, you come to church every Sunday, and everybody's like, how you doing? Everybody's like, fine. I'm doing great. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> right, you say that every Sunday. Don't be one of those people who's like, how you doing? Oh, everything's great. No, it's not. <laughs> right, things aren't perfect in your marriage. Things aren't perfect in your life right now. Things aren't perfect in your job. And we struggle to take our mask off because behind there sometimes there's some serious pain. And some people are in bondage to some things. And what I want to encourage you is maybe you've never been in physical prison before, but if you are sitting here, you know what, John? I have been in pain. I've been captive to my past. I just can't shake it. I've been in bondage to shame. I've been in bondage to lust. I've been in bondage to addiction. I've been in bondage to anger. My marriage seems like it's too far gone to be saved. I want to encourage you this morning that you are never too far gone, that God can't reach into there and pull you out of there. He could transform anyone. And it's with that truth in mind that I want us right now, can we just bow our heads and pray that this wouldn't just be another Sunday service as usual, that we can actually just maybe just sit here and say, God, would you would you do some things this morning? Because I'm quite sure, I don't know what's going on in this room, but I know God wants to deliver some folks. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, would you help us this morning right now to not be so arrogant and proud to think that you're just talking to the person sitting next to us or the person who's not here. Help us in this moment to take our mask off. Lord, I just pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that is struggling. And maybe they're too ashamed to admit it. Maybe they are battling some addiction, God. Maybe it's lust and pornography. Maybe it's overeating and they have this um, Lord, they struggle with the eating disorder. Maybe someone is full of anger. Maybe someone is full of shame because of something that they've experienced and it's been hard to move forward. They never really talk about it. Maybe um someone is battling an addiction, Lord, and they're 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 an alcoholic or or they 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 get high all the time. And Lord, they they're struggling to tell anyone about that. And then God, I pray for the person, Lord, that we're here. Maybe it's someone we know, maybe it's a family member, Lord. Maybe someone's coming to mind right now, maybe it's not us, but someone is our mind, and it's like. I know God can do everything, but man, it just doesn't seem like anything's going to happen in this situation. God, would you give us the faith to believe that you are a God who can set the captives free? We ask you to bless this time now and bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And uh, I don't know how it is at Calvary. We always say at Chicago West, cell phone Bibles is good. You could pull your cell phone out. Just Google this passage. So Mark chapter 5. We're going to go verse by verse. That way it's not what Pastor John thinks. This is not a TED's talk. I'm not giving my opinion. St. Oprah Winfrey Show, this is whatever God says, all right? And so we're going to look at what this he saying. we're going to work through it. And so here we are, Mark chapter 5, an amazing story. And there's three things here that I want you to know about God. Three things that I want you to know about Christ when it comes to this area of setting captives free in God's love for us. Here's the first thing. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Only Jesus can set captives free. Let me say that again. Only Jesus can set captives free. Why did I say that twice? It's because there's something woven into us where we love to be Superman or Wonder Woman. So I just want to free up some of y'all right now that, that, that there's just some stuff you can't do. But here's why you should be encouraged. Jesus can do everything you can't do. All right, so here we are right now and start of the story. If you're looking in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, let's read. Only Jesus can set captives free. Verse 1 They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he broke the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. All right, let's stop right here. Let's kind of picture what's going on. Now, I just want to say up front, this is not some make-believe story that was made up. This is not a Harry Potter movie or something like that. This is a real life, a real scenario that happened in real time. And so I want us to kind of enter into this world and see what's going on here. The first thing we know is coming in verse 1 and verse 2, if you look there, it said that they had just got out of the boat and they were coming off the sea. And if you read, if you read the passages before that, is one of the great miracles that happens. If you're familiar with the story, there was this storm as they're on the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is downstairs in the boat, sleep, knocked out. And the boat is shaking. It seems like everybody's going to drown. They wake Jesus up. He goes out and he looks at the storm and he says, Peace be still chill. And it gets quiet. And all the storms and the wind stop blowing, and it gets peaceful. And everybody's like, man, who is this dude that can speak to the weather and makes it stop, make it stop, like, make the storm stop like this? He comes right after that situation. The boat gets to the land, and this is what happens. This is what he encounters right after that. And the reason why it's in the Bible that way is because it begs the question of, okay, can the same Jesus who stops the storms out there stop the storms in here? And so Jesus now gets out of the boat, he gets on dry ground, and the very first person he meets is a man who's demon-possessed and in bondage. So before we move forward, let's see what we can know about this guy. All right, let's kind of find out um, who he is uh, and what we can learn about him. Look in verse 3, right? Well, verse 2, back end of it says there was a man who um, came out of the tombs, right? He had an unclean spirit, verse 3. He lived amongst the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, he had often been bound with shackles, right? So here's a couple things we can know about this guy based on these few verses. One, he's been in bondage and captivity for a long time. He clearly, they said he has shackles on him, so imagine chains around him. He's used to being in bondage. He's used to being in captivity. The second thing we can know about this guy is he's considered violent and dangerous. The last time I checked, you don't put shackles on people who aren't a harm, who aren't a threat. So clearly he must be a threat to people or himself that the people around him figured, man, we need to put some chains around this guy and put a padlock on that. So imagine this guy in chains, in bondage. One of the other things we learned, the third thing we learned about this guy is people have tried to help him. To no avail. It says here, Um, In verse 3, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. So people tried to bind him. They tried to put shackles on him. And in verse 4, the back end of it says, no one had the strength to subdue him. So people tried to help him. What do you know about this guy? He's in captivity. He's used to being in bondage. People have tried to help him. He's considered violent and dangerous. Here's a fourth thing we learn about this guy. He's suicidal. He's suicidal. How do we know he's suicidal? Verse 5 says... Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself. So we know he's suicidal because he cuts himself. He's a cutter, that's what he does. And he says here that he lived amongst the tombs. So I want you to picture this, picture this in your mind. I mean, seriously, put this in your mind, right? How dark of a place must he be in that of all the places he chooses to live, he chooses to live in a graveyard? Think about that. He doesn't have a place to live. He could have lived on the sidewalk. He could live by the bus stop. He could live by anywhere. He could live under the, 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 you know, the train tracks. Out of all the places to live, he lives in a graveyard. And people have tried to help this dude. And the most they could come up with was, let's just put shackles on him, put some chains on him. At least he won't hurt us or hurt himself. Because we don't know how to help him. We don't know how to help Jimmy. Hey, can we make, can we call him Jimmy? Everybody cool with that? Everybody cool with the name Jimmy. If your name's Jimmy, I'm not talking about you, all right? So don't take that personal. But we got to give him a name. Why? Here's another reason why. The passage doesn't tell us his name. He's only identified by his problem. He's known as the dude who's demon-possessed, that cuts himself, and is always in shackles. Now, everybody has tried to help him because it says in here, verse 4, No one had the strength to subdue him. No one had the strength to fix his problems. Have you ever been there before? Maybe, does anyone come to mind, maybe someone come to mind, you think about, man, I've tried talking to my brother, we've tried taking my sister to rehab, we've tried sending this couple through marriage counseling, they went through four different counselors, Like, we've tried, I don't have the strength to do this. I've tried to talk to my son, I've tried to talk to my daughter, I've tried to talk to my mom, i tried to talk to my dad. He still won't put the bottle down. He's been an alcoholic for like 20 years, he's very abusive. I've tried to do this, I've tried, no one has the strength. And so here's this guy who's in a situation. People have tried to help him. He's a danger to himself because he cuts himself, he's suicidal. He's clearly a danger to others, so they shackle him up. He's living amongst the graveyard, he's in a dark place, and we don't even know his name, that we had to give him the name Jimmy. Because everything we know about him is his problems. And I want us to be careful because we often do that too as Christians and just as people in general. We love to classify people by everything except their humanity. That's how we think. We think in the categories of black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Are you from the North? Are you from the South? Are you from the Midwest? Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Are you liberal? Are you conservative? That's how we think. And when someone's in sin or we see their problems or we see how dysfunctional their house seems or how messed up their marriage seems or how much he or she is struggling with an addiction, that's the first thing that often comes to our mind. And even though we know them by name, how we often process them and think about them is based upon their sin and their struggles. We say stuff like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jim, he's such a deadbeat dad. Yeah, I know Stephanie, she's always in bad relationships. Yeah, I know Mike, he can't put the bottle down. Oh, yeah, I know Lisa, yeah, she's such a backstabber. I I wouldn't be around her. Now, while some of those things may be true, so often that's how we see people, that's how we see the world, that's how we classify people. Now, what's interesting here is here's this guy and his situation is laid out. So we we found out who this guy is, what he's going through. We saw behind his mask. We're seeing his mess and his problems. Now, here's the question we got to wrestle with before we move forward. Everybody's got to wrestle with this question. Do you believe that God can redeem and transform and change Jimmy's life? That's the question you got to ask yourself. Do you believe that? Because how you answer that will show the decisions you make. It will be seen in the decisions you make. If you don't think that God could change people, you don't go talk to them. If you don't think God could do something in the greater Lafayette area, if you don't really believe he could transform marriages, change lives, bring people out of addiction, free people in this and do that, if you don't think he could change the darkest heart, you're not going to go out there and do anything. If you don't think that God can fix this marriage that's broken in your family, or if he can't uh, bring your son back who seems too far gone, you won't pray. And oftentimes what you find is Christians profess to know something, but their actions show you really don't believe that. Because what ends up happening is you get more irritated by that person than praying for them. You get more irritated by what you see on the news and actually going to talk to people. And so we have to wrestle with this, can God transform? Because if God can transform this man, if he can truly fix this marriage, if he can truly deliver this person from bondage or their addiction, then that changes everything. And it means that we don't have to sit back passively. We can move forward to help people and love people. I believe that God can change Jimmy. Now, I want you to think about that in here. You know, last service, there was quite a few people that was like, yeah, God can change Jimmy. It's like, all right, well, take Jimmy out of there and put your brother in there. Put your dad in there. It's a little bit more personal now, right? Because when Thanksgiving rolls around, you're like, man, I don't even know if I want to go by the house if he comes by because I already know what's going to happen. He's going to get drunk. There's going to be a fight. Things are going to go on. I don't even want to be there. He's going to be disrespectful. I want my kids around that. This is reality, Do you think that God can change that? Or put yourself there. I've been battling lust for a long time. I've been battling addiction for a long time. I've been battling pornography for a long time. I've been battling shame for a long time. Maybe that's you. These are things that come to mind. I've I've been held captive by my pain and my past. Do you believe that God can transform you and free you from that? That's what the scripture is begging us to address right now. And what you find from this story is yes, He can. Now, we learned all this about this man. We learned that this guy right here, we learned that he's suicidal and he's considered violent and dangerous, that he's been in prison and he's been captive. But here's the good thing that we find out about this man. He's willing to run to Jesus and Jesus doesn't reject him. Look with me in verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. I love that. He sees Jesus walking by, and he runs to Jesus and falls down at his feet. You know what that is when you fall down at the feet of Jesus? It's you saying, I've taken my mask off. I don't really care if people see my mess and what they think about me because I'm tired of being in bondage and being in this place. The only other option I got is you. I don't care who gossips about me. I don't care who talks about me because they see how a wreck my marriage is or how of a horrible parent I've been or how much I'm struggling with this addiction. I don't care anymore because being free means more to me than staying in bondage. I'm falling on my face because I believe that you're the only one that can free me. That's what happens in verse 6. And Jesus doesn't, when he falls down by that, Jesus doesn't say, get off me. Get off my leg. Get out of here. He embraces him with compassion. Lesson to be learned there that people who are outcasts and who are rejected by the world, Jesus embraces. If Jesus was living in America today, most people who profess to know Jesus wouldn't like Jesus because he would hang out with people. You would be like, why are you hanging out with that person? That's what the Pharisees did. Why are you hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors? Why are you hanging out with this person? Jesus was always around people who people would reject. And here you find in this moment that Jesus doesn't say to this guy, get off of me. Now again, Put yourself in this situation and think about who Jesus is talking to. If Jesus is walking with his 12 disciples and Mary Magdalene and a couple other women, and this guy comes up running, I could totally see them like, yo, who's this dude? Back up, get get away. Don't you know he's dangerous? But Jesus embraces him. And when we find there is anyone who turns to Jesus in a posture of brokenness and humility and desperation can be healed and set free. turning to him. There is no one who isn't redeemable. All people are redeemable. Here's the second thing to jot down if you're taking notes. Only Jesus can enter the darkest heart. Let me say that again. Only Jesus can enter the darkest heart. Look with me in verse 7. So the guy then fell down at Jesus' feet. We're in verse 7 now. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Let me stop and kind of explain what's going on here. The Bible told us here that this guy is demon possessed, meaning there's demonic spirits indwelling him, which is why he's cutting himself and acting the way he's acting. This is what's going on with this guy. He's hurting himself. He's doing these things because he is demon-possessed. And Jesus shows up now, and Jesus began speaking to the demons that's in him. That's why nobody else could help this man, because it was bigger than just the physical problems. Jesus is now speaking to the demons that are inside of him. And if you look now in verse uh, 9, Jesus says in verse 8, he says, he tells the demons to come out of the man. And then he says to the demons, what's your name? And they say, legion. And any of you who study history, you know about, any of you historians, you know a legion is about 6,000 soldiers in a Roman army. That's how these demons describe themselves. We're a legion. There's a ton of us inside here in this man. Now, what this shows us here is Jesus is now going to the heart of the problem, not simply the band-aids. And that's often one of the challenges that we have as believers. And Remember we talked about, we looked here before, what were people trying to do? They put the shackles on him because they were like, hey, you know what? We don't know how to change Jimmy. We don't know what to kind of do with Jimmy, but at least if we put some shackles on him, at least it'd be a band-aid that could stop the bleeding. And I just want to let you know, we live in a country we live in an environment that loves Band-Aids. We love putting Band-Aids on stuff all the time. And Jesus, he goes past the Band-Aids to the root problems. But we live in a country that loves putting Band-Aids on situations. And the pastor, I hear it all the time, right? It's like, man, if I just move to a different city, then things will get better. If I just date a different person, if I just take a different job, if I just start working out, and those things aren't wrong, but they could be Band-Aids. Here's what I found out. If you leave a city bitter, struggling with shame and anger and broken, and you move to another city, you will arrive bitter, with shame, angry and broken. Change of scenery might be helpful in some situations and in some scenarios that you know what, you're not around certain people, but you bring yourself wherever you go. I'm always amazed when I watch the evening news and it just seems like some other person in the circus got mauled by a lion or a bear or something. And I'm always just like, but you knew it was a bear. You knew it was a lion, right? It's like just because you took the lion out of the jungle and it got, you got to stand up on two feet, you know, and look at a hula-hoo in front of some kids means all of a sudden now it's, no, no, I will not allow my son to pet a lion. It's a lion, right? But that's, we don't understand that. And so sometimes we, we look at band-aids. To fit. Well, if I just go to a different job or if I just date a different person, well, let me just tell you something. If you've been going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship in the last year and a half, maybe it's you. I'm just saying. At some point, you got to say, maybe it's me. Maybe it's not all the other men or women I was saying was a mess. Maybe it's me. Right? And that's what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just address situations with band-aids. He goes right to the heart of the matter. He speaks to these demonic things within his man's life that are holding him captive. And let me tell you something that we all have in common. No matter if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic, young, old, rich, poor, you're from Shawtown, Chicago, or from Lafayette or wherever. Here's one thing we all got in common. Satan hates you. And he wants you to be in prison to your pain and your problems. That's a fact. Bible teaches that. Satan wants you to be in bondage, in prison, to your shame, your pain, and your problems. There's some people who can't move forward in a relationship to date anyone because of the pain of their past that they project on everyone. There's some people who don't matter what city they move to or what job they take or what relationship they're in, it still ends up in the same place because they don't want to address the shame and pain. And when they're in environments that trigger that, they respond in a certain way. Jesus shows up and he goes right to the heart of the matter. He goes right below the band-aids. He he gets right into the wounds, right into the heart. And Satan would love more for anything, anything you hear this morning, Satan would love for you to stay in bondage to your past. He would love for me to stay in bondage to my past, to the addictions I overcame, to any shame, to any guilt. And by God's grace, I've only been able to stand here today because Jesus constantly delivers me from that. And Satan always whispers in my ear to try to lure me back. He's good at putting people in prison because you don't move when you're in prison. You keep your mask on when you're in prison. You say everything's great when you're in prison and you're dying on the inside. But what I love about the gospel is Jesus doesn't sit there and say, well, I'm not going to come into there because you, you got your mask on. He kicks the door off and comes inside and saves you. He rescues you from yourself, from your past, from your problems. And so Jesus begins now speaking to the heart of the matter. I'm so thankful that Jesus can speak to the heart and not just the symptoms. That frees me up. I got two boys, two sons, and I tell you this as their father. I try to pray with them. I try to read them the word. I try to put them in a direction that I didn't have. They don't even know that their dad was in prison. They don't even know. I'm currently on probation. I didn't even mention that. I'm still on probation. I did nine years of parole and I'm Two and a half years on a five-year probation. You know, so you got to hear, there's a pastor that's still on parole and probation. My kids don't even know that. You know, like, seriously, like, I'm like Santa Claus to them. They just think I'm just going to give gifts and smile and be great, right? But this is how my kids think. I'm trying to point them in the right direction. But even though I'm trying to do the best and provide for them, trying to point them in the right direction spiritually, here's what I realize. Unless Jesus moves on their heart and grips their soul like he did mine, it'll all look good on the outside. I don't want fluff on the outside. I want deep roots on the inside. And only Jesus can do that. But that's freeing for me because it means I don't have to be Superman. I just have to be available to love my kids. Jesus loves the captives, and we all should. People, all people are redeemable. And Jesus here enters into the darkest heart. Here's a guy who's in a dark place. Jesus begins speaking to his situation. And he frees him. If you read on from verses 9 through verse uh, 13, he actually casts all the demons out into some pigs. They go down into the water and die. And now this man is walking, and he's not possessed by demons anymore. And we find that out next. Here's the third thing. You could jot this down, the third and final thing. Only Jesus can make us new. So here we are. We get to verse 14. Jesus heals this man. Here we are in verse 14. The herdsmen fly, fled, and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what, 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 that, um, what was that had happened. Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Praise God for that passage. Y'all need to underline that. It said the people came back, and they saw the demon-possessed guy that used to be demon-possessed. He's now clothed. He's got clothes on which means he was naked most of the time doing that, and he was in his right mind. This dude, they walk up, he's sitting down, eating Chick-fil-A with Jesus. (laughs) Now, we read that and we just skip, we're like, oh man, that's great. Put yourself in a story. Put yourself there. Think of the marriage that you never thought could get to a good place. Think of the person, think of the dad who's been an alcoholic and abusive for 20 years, that you just stop praying for. Think of the person battling this, the person battling that. And now they're in their right frame of mind. They're healthy, they're clean, they're good, and they're sitting there with Jesus. Amen, right? Praise God. That should encourage all of us that God is able to do that. Now, this man is sitting here, and he's sitting here as a new creation in Christ. He's not the same guy he was. He's not Jimmy anymore. His name is James now or something. Alright, he's going by his real name now. Jimmy's who I was. That was my nickname. Call me James now. Right? I love this because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. This guy is a free man. I'm free from bondage. I'm free from shame. I'm free from my past. Oh no, you 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 cut yourself. No, I used to cut myself. I used to be suicidal. I used to be in a dark place. I used to be in severe depression in that graveyard. That's not who I am today. Don't put that label on me because that's not who I am. I'm a new creation in Christ. I used to be sleeping around. I used to use drugs. I used to do this, and you know what? Sometimes I slip up, but that's not who I am. This is who I am in Christ. You see it? He's walking in his newness. Now, with all that being said, what do you think the Christians or the religious folks who profess to know God, how do you think they're gonna respond? Let's find out in verse 17. Look in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. All the people, all the spiritual people, Jimmy just got saved, Jimmy's changed. Jesus, you got to (laughs) roll. You got to get up on out of here. That's crazy. That's crazy. It says two things. One, it's understandable why they would be afraid of Jesus. It's easy for us reading the Bible, looking back, all right, because we can kind of see everything clearly. But if you lived in their times, Jesus has popped up on the scene. They didn't know who he was. He was claiming to be the Messiah. He was healing people. This was all new to them. So it's understandable that they'd be like, All right, so this guy was cutting himself. He was possessed by demons. You cast him out. I saw all these pigs die. Now he's in his right mind. You professing to be God. This is crazy. This is weird. I can get that. I can respect that. I can understand why you would struggle with that. But no one, no one cheers for Jimmy. No one is going to celebrate the fact that Jimmy's changed now. You know what that says? It says that there can be a sense of evil in the heart that causes us to actually become upset and irritated when we see someone experience grace and mercy who we don't like. What you'll find a lot of time is we cheer for everyone except the person who hurt us the most. We cheer for everybody except the person we can't stand the most. And you all remember the story of the prodigal son? Anybody remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember the son? He left, spent all his dad's money, was doing all this stuff, came back home. Everybody was celebrating except who? The brother. Why was he mad? Why are y'all showing him all his grace? Because there's something about us that wants justice so bad. We want justice so bad that you got to pay for what you did to me. The husband who's had affairs needs to pay. The wife who's had affairs needs to pay. The dad who was addicted to whatever and totally missed out on all my years growing up as a teenager and I can't get those years back, you need to pay. That's how we think. So when God says, no, I'm not going to make them pay, I'm going to give them grace, we say, that ain't fair. Is it fair that a man who was involved in taking a life should be free preaching to you right now? It's a great story if they didn't kill your brother. See how the story changes? The tension here of grace and mercy and compassion. And people aren't, some people aren't too happy that this guy is saved. We don't hear nothing about cheering here. Last thing as we wrap up, I went way over. The guy asked, he, he, here's, here's James now. Verse 18 says, as he was getting into the boat, that's Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him. He's asking Jesus, Jesus, can I go with you? Jesus is going out in the greater Lafayette area, preaching the gospel, healing people. And and Jimmy's like, can I go with you? Look what Jesus says in verse 19. He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Jesus says, you know what? I know you want to go out here and hit the streets with me and preach the gospel, and you want to do all this. The place you need to start is in your own family, in your own house. You want to shine bright for me? You want to see some healing take place? Start here. And so as we close out this service, and as we think about being in bondage to anything, I want you to be encouraged this morning that the reason this story is in Scripture, the reason why Jesus put this story here, is so that you know the same God who delivered this man can deliver you from wherever you are or the person that you think is too far gone. And so here's how I want to close out this service. I want to close out by praying for you. So if you just bow your heads right now. I want to pray. Lord, help this to not just be another message. Help us right now, God. I pray for every man and woman here. Anyone who is battling anything, God, who is honest and says, you know what? I have been in bondage to my pain. I have not been able to get over this. I have been in bondage to shame. I don't like who I see in the mirror sometimes. When I look in the mirror, I get disgusted. I have been in bondage to addiction or lust or pornography. I have been in bondage. Or you know what? My marriage just seems so far gone. I'm not even sure if I really love her anymore, but I'm just trying to stick it out for the kids. Lord, would you free us today? Lord, would you allow us to let you into our entire heart, Lord? Sometimes we say, God, come in. You can have my heart, but we don't let you into certain areas. No, God, would you have all of our heart? Would you heal? Would you do the surgery that's needed, and would you set us free? Lastly, Lord, I just pray for those who are in the hearts of people in this room, God, the the people who came to our minds, the brothers, the sisters, the dads, the siblings, the friends that seem too far gone. Would you you meet them where they are right now, God, and bring them back to you? Would you give us the faith to believe, God, that, that no one is too far gone that you can't save? We lift them up to you right now and pray. God, as we leave here today, may we meditate on everything we heard today and be encouraged that you love us deeply. God, we do not know and even understand how deeply loved we are by you. Help us to walk in that freedom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.